the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. Change your attitude, change your life. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. According to today's guest, Gretchen Rubin, by answering one question, how do I better respond to expectations, we can gain self-knowledge that can help us make better decisions, meet deadlines, reduce stress, and engage more effectively with others. Gretchen believes that people fit into four tendencies, that our tendency shapes every aspect of our behavior, and when we unlock this information, we can better understand ourselves and those around us. Gretchen is the author of the New York Times bestsellers, Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, and Happier at Home. She is a member of Oprah's Super Soul 100 and has appeared on the Today Show, The Talk, and Own. Welcome, Gretchen. Thanks for joining us. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. Well, Gretchen, you believe that people fit into four tendencies and that our tendency shapes every aspect of our behavior. How did you come to this conclusion? Um, you know, it was a very inconspicuous moment of my life. I was having lunch with a friend, and uh, my sister Alyssa says I'm kind of a happiness bully. <laughs> and I was quizzing my friend about her habits and her happiness, and she said to me something that many people had said something similar, but for some reason when she said it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. She said, I know I would be happier if I exercised, and here's the weird thing. When I was in high school, I never missed track practice. I was on the track team. I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, why not? It's the same person. It's the same behavior. At one time, she had no trouble showing up. Now she can't do it. How do you explain that? And then I started seeing other patterns, like Some people, when I would talk to them about New Year's resolutions, they would say something like, well, I would keep a resolution when it made sense to me, but I would not wait for January 1st because January 1st is an arbitrary date. Mm -hmm. And they all use that phrase, arbitrary date. And I thought, that's funny because the arbitrariness of January 1st doesn't really bother me. Like, that never really caught me up, but for some reason. And then I was writing at that point a book about habit change, my book Better Than Before. Mm -hmm. And, like, some people, like, I love the idea of habits. I find them freeing and energizing. I'm very drawn which is probably why I decided to write a book about them because I love the idea of habits. But some people would say to me, like, why would you ever write a book about such a loathsome subject? Like, mm-hmm. what a downer. Why would you do that? <laughs> and that? And seeing these patterns out in the world, I was like, something is binding these things together. I can't figure it out, but something explains why certain people are responding the way they are. And it took me so much, it like practically melted my brain, um, it was so hard, but then I realized I, I finally realized that this idea of expectation is really at the heart of these patterns. And I took your test, and I have to mm. tell you, you were a thousand percent right in describing oh. me. And we'll talk about that in a moment because I want to back up and just talk about what these four tendencies are. Yeah. You label them upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. Can you yeah. give us a brief description of each? Yes. So there is a quiz online. If you go to happiercast.com slash quiz, you can take a quiz. Like 1.3 million people have taken this quiz. It's free. It's quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but most people, I'll give you a brief description, and most people know what they are just from hearing the description. It's not that hard to figure out what you are. So it all has to depend on how you respond to expectations. And all of us face two kinds of expectations. Outer expectations, which are like a work deadline, a request from a friend, things that come to us from the outside. 
And then we also have inner expectations, my own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, my own desire to do more practicing guitar. That comes from within. So your tendency is how those outer and inner expectations combine. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. So they meet the work deadline, they keep the nearest resolution without much fuss. Mm-hmm. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they're making everything an inner expectation. If it meets their inner standard, they will do it, no problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will resist. And they typically object to anything arbitrary, inefficient, irrational. They always want to know, why should I? Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And this is my friend on the track team. When she had a team and a coach expecting her to show up, she had no trouble going. But when she was just trying to go on her own, it was a challenge. Mm -hmm. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do. They can do anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically, they don't even like to tell themselves what to do. Like, they wouldn't sign up for a 10 a.m. yoga class on Saturday because they're like, I don't know what I'm going to want to do at 10 a.m. on Saturday. Like, why would I say I'm going to show up? And, And even the fact that someone's expecting me to be there annoys me. So those are the four. So when I took your test, I am an obliger and I know I am. Mm. It's always Mm. been important to me what other people think. But now Mm. at this point in my life, I'm working very hard to change that. So Mm. can we fit into more than one category? Is there Mm. always a dominant one? And can this be changed? Well, it's interesting that you're an obliger because that is the largest tendency. That's the one for both men and women. That's the one the biggest number of people fit into. And so and because you are speaking to so many people, that's great because it's like what you're saying is something going to resonate with a lot of people. My tendency, the upholder tendency, is really small. Uh, Rebel is the smallest and upholder is only slightly bigger. So you're in the biggest tendency. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I really do believe these are hardwired. I think that this is part of your the genetic roots of your personality. You bring it into the world with you. It's not something that's nurture. It's not birth order. It's not generation. It's, it's just part of who you are. And I think that for most people that stays. Now, and, and, and part of what I really want to do with the four tendencies is that I, I think often people think they need to change or they want to change or they need to fix something about them. And my view is like, you're fine the way you are. You just need to set up a situation in a different way so that you can get where you want to go. So for instance, obliger, and again, they're the biggest tendency, so they matter a lot in the world. Mm-hmm. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, so they struggle to meet inner expectations. And many obligers will say to me, I don't want to be dependent on outer expectations. I want to find inner motivation. I feel weak that I need this outer accountability. I need to find it within myself. And my view is kind of like, well, why? Why bother? That sounds like a lot of work. It might never be possible. But there's a quick, easy solution for obligers, which is create outer accountability. If you want to read more, join a book group. If you want to exercise, take a class, work out with a trainer, take your dog for a run. He's going to be so disappointed. Work out with a friend who will be annoyed if you don't show up. Think about your duty to be a role model of some, for someone else. Think about your duty to your future self. That works for a lot of obligers. There's a million ways to plug in outer accountability. And once they have outer accountability, obligers find it much easier to follow through. So I'm like, I would just take the quick, easy way and get where you want to go instead of trying to do a lot of like thinking that you need to change because in my observation it's much easier to change circumstances than it is to change ourselves so that's information to help us understand ourselves better how can we use this information to understand those around us to relate with them better well it's it's super helpful because i think one of the things that's just part of human nature so i certainly experience this myself all the time which is that it's very easy to assume that other people see the world the way the way you do or they respond to things the way you do and Understanding how people of different tendencies are very different can help you understand why it's not that they're right and you're wrong or that they're right and you're wrong. It's just that you have a different view. So just to take some really obvious examples, a problem for questioners, adult questioners and child questioners, is that many people get annoyed or drained or overwhelmed by their questions. And like you can be on a work team where everybody's like, man, what's your problem? Like we've been talking about this for 45 minutes. Everybody else is on board. Why do you keep slowing us down with all these questions? 
they don't, you know, it's like, but to a questioner, it's like, this is valuable. This is important. I'm not going to just go along with this change unless I understand, like, why this makes sense. And that's actually good for everyone. Why should everybody in this workplace do this work if it's not clear why? So it's really a helpful thing. But if I'm a thin-skinned boss, I might feel like, well, you're not a team player. You're questioning my judgment. You're challenging my authority. Or I'm a child, a child questioner, and I say to my teacher, I don't understand why I need to memorize the multiplication tables because I can look that up on my phone in like a fraction of the time and get 100% correct answer. So why do I need to memorize it? Well, if I'm a teacher and I say things like because all fourth graders have to memorize it or all 10-year-olds have to memorize it or because I'm the teacher and I say so, mm-hmm. that's not going to be legitimate to a questioner. A questioner needs justification. And it's been very poignant to me to hear from questioners where literally if someone had taken 10 minutes and said, This is why we're requiring this of you. This is why we want you to write this book report. This is why we want you to do these drills in soccer. If they would get that, they'd be like, fine, no problem. I'm with your program. But when they're not given those answers, they won't. And so if you understand that someone's a questioner, you can help them get the answers that they need um, without taking it personally and, and seeing that once they have those answers, they will. It's not that they're just being obstructionist. It's that they need answers. Or say, like, I'm in a polder, and one of the things about a polder is they don't need a lot of supervision. They don't need a lot of accountability. They're pretty inner-driven. There's a lot of good things to that, but there's downsides, too. All of the tendencies have upsides and downsides. But one of the things that I realized is that often I was impatient or not understanding why people needed their questions answered or why they needed specific accountability or where they needed a lot of choice and freedom. Because my view is, like, this is what needs to get done. Everybody just get with the program and get it done. Because that's what I do. My husband asked me to do something, like, oh, hey, honey, can you go get the mortgage papers? I'm like, okay, fine. I don't need to know why. I don't really care, and I don't even really want to be slowed down. But if I have my husband to get the mortgage papers, he's going to be like, why do you need them? Mm -hmm. That might have annoyed me. Or, you know, or an obliger. If I said, like, hey, when you have a few minutes, will you do this for me? Well, to an obliger, that might be like, is that even a real request? Like, what is that? That's just like too unbounded. It's just floating out in the world. Or to a rebel, you know, because I love to-do lists and checklists and schedules. Upholders tend to really like that kind of thing. But rebels don't. They like to be spontaneous and do things in their own way when they want to. So if I were working with a rebel or I had a rebel child or a rebel spouse, I might say, like, we need to commit. Let's plan ahead. Let's figure out what we're going to get done. And I might be really frustrated with a rebel who's like, I don't want to commit. I wanted, like, why can't we just figure out what seems right at the time? Like, to me, that's like, that's crazy talk. Mm-hmm. But to a rebel, that's how they like to work. And it's not that one person's right and one person's wrong. It's just that you have to understand, okay, well, given who I am and what you, who you are, how do we work it out so that we both have what we need to, to survive and thrive? Can we use this information as a metric to create perhaps a better romantic relationship mm. or our yeah. business partner? Absolutely. Well, that's a very interesting question. And the most striking pattern um, is one that involves obligers, your tendency. Mm-hmm. So when you have a rebel who's paired up, whether that's in a romantic relationship or like in a partnership, like there's two founders who started a business or there's two partners like at an agency or something like that. If one of them is a rebel, Almost always the other one is an obliger. That is by far the most dominant pattern and the most and the easiest patterns. Okay. If you have a rebel, the, the, the other partner is an obliger. Now, I'm not saying that, that you never see um, exceptions to that because you do. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that is the most consistent pattern that you see. The, the pattern that tends to be the most difficult is an upholder and a rebel. Now, again, I, I know people who are business partners and romantic partners where it's an upholder and a rebel. But they really have very different approaches to the world. They, they just value different things. They, they want to set up their time in different ways. And so that tends to be something where it's very hard to make it work. Not that it's impossible, but it's tough because they just, they're very, you know, upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations and rebels re- resist outer and inner expectations. So there's not that much overlap in their approach. The book is The Four Tendencies, The Indispensable Personality Profiles That Reveal How to Make Your Life Better and Other People's Lives Better Too. If you'd like to get more information about Gretchen and her work, you can visit her website, GretchenRubin.com. Gretchen, in our final moments, what's a takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? You know, I really think that when you think about how to be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative, I think the, the, the answer is to know yourself. It's not to think that there's a magic one-size-fits-all solution, that if something works for someone else, it should work for you, or if something works for you, it should work for someone else. It's really about thinking about yourself. When have I succeeded in the past? What appeals to me? 
what are the conditions that allow me to thrive? I think when we really think about what's true for ourselves, and try, instead of trying to fit ourselves into some kind of model, that's when we can figure out the way to get the life we want. Gretchen, thank you so much for joining us and for providing information that can help us improve every area of our life. Understanding these tendencies can certainly be a game changer for us. So thank you for being here. Thank you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Hi, doctor. Hey, freelancer. Hi there, business owner. Today's world has so many acronyms. As leaders called upon to speak to our teams, to the public, and to our patients and clients, we must be very careful about the choice of acronyms that we use. If folks don't understand our acronyms like ROI, EBITDA, EMR, CRM, FTCPA, etc., then our messages are missing the target. This is Vito Mazza with Kinem.com, and today I want to share two powerful and positive acronyms, NARUKA and NAOP. In our professional careers, when we are awarded preferred status by a particular person or organization, it's a positive idea to share that with our potential clients. I'm delighted to share a proud moment about NARUCA, the Northeast Regional Urgent Care Association, and NAOP, the National Association of Occupational Health Professionals, two outstanding medical organizations. We are thrilled to announce that Kinem Inc. has just been honored with preferred vendor status by both of these outstanding medical entities. They represent two of the fastest growing segments in medicine. Kinem will be helping them with cash flow management services. We're very grateful for this recognition and would love to tell you more about it. So call me at 800 850 5110. Did you know that 70% of your immune system lives in your gut? Everything you eat and drink affects the way your body works and ultimately the way you feel. Think about it. Everything you ingest, whether that's food, beverages, or supplements, either fortifies your immune system or weakens it. What are you doing to help support it today so that you have the right defense system in place when this cold and flu season kicks in? Hi, I'm Jill Merriman, a doTERRA certified essential oil specialist. I love helping people improve their overall well-being by using doTERRA essential oils because they're safe, effective, and natural. These wholesale priced products are CPTG, which means certified pure therapeutic grade. They're considered a medical grade and beyond organic. During these tough times, there is more emphasis placed on self-care as a way to keep our immune system strong. The immune system helps the body stay healthy. Without support, it cannot defend you from potential external threats. Along with adequate sleep, regular exercise, and a balanced diet, essential oils can help boost your immune system. One of my favorite go-to doTERRA products is their Protective Blend On Guard. With this product line consisting of an essential oil, gel caps, toothpaste, mouthwash, hand sanitizer, spray cleaner, and even laundry detergent, OnGuard Guard provides an excellent line of defense. Used on a daily basis, it can help keep your immune system strong and your home environment clean. If you're open to learning more on how essential oils can help you, contact me at jill at jillmarin.com for a complimentary 30-minute wellness consultation. to 
live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Lisa Luckett, a life coach, speaker, and CEO of Cosmina Enlightened Living, a brand of kindness. Lisa is the author of the book, The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. She is here today to discuss life coaching. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. It's so nice to be here today. Thank you. So, Lisa, today we hear the term life coach, and a lot of times people are really unsure about what that means. So can you explain to us what is life coaching? So life coaching is a very uh, new lane, if you will. Uh, it's actually it's been around for 20 plus years, but there's, it's kind of a new lane that lives somewhere between therapy and consulting and friendship for that matter. Uh, so coaching to me is best explained to say that therapy will be 80% talking about your past, 20% your future. Coaching picks up from there and takes 20% of your past into 80% of your future. In other words, uh, therapy is more like moving dysfunction to becoming functional, where coaching takes functional to become optimal or from good to great. Um, What's really great about coaching, the consultant aspect is an expert aspect. You would hire an expert consultant in, their, in your, their field to come into your business to do an analysis, and at the end they would leave, and they would give you a report, and it would be yours to execute. Um, the life coach sees the client as the expert in their life, while the life coach is the expert in the coaching process. Most coaching is done in three-month increments, and the reason being is that it allows the client to relax into the process. Once it's in the calendar, uh, either weekly or bimonthly, it allows them to move forward on their path of self-discovery, uh, and committing to this time of personal growth is you know, something once you've lived life this long, it takes time to understand it. So it's a very interesting lane. It, it's not therapeutic in that regard. It's just really about holding space in this certain way of actively listening and really having people be heard and seen and validated, sometimes for the first time in their lives, which can actually be life-changing when it happens. What, Lisa, are some of the things that coaching can help? What are the benefits? So coaching, to me, its greatest benefit is it's teaching self-awareness. It's the entry level to emotional intelligence, which is now becoming the superpower in our world. Vulnerability and emotional intelligence will be what takes us forward. So that being said, um, it bridges a gap between a reality, where you are in reality, and the vision that you have. And it can break down the steps to getting there. It shows you in your self-awareness how you're showing up in a situation. It helps you shift perspective and see it from other people's points of view or just see it from your own points of view. It helps take an assumption from historic experience that you have and break it down to say, why would that happen again? Just because it happened once doesn't mean it'll happen again. Sometimes we just get in our own way in that way. Or that um, inner critic pops its head up and tells us, you can't do that, you know, which is really just fear showing itself, usually before having a, a remarkable breakthrough. So it's really about understanding who you are and where you are in the moment and therefore how to better manage your own relationships. And when you understand how you're showing up, how your statements are being received by the other person because you're putting yourself in their place, all of a sudden it shifts the energy. It shifts your, you to becoming more proactive and more balanced uh, within all relationships in your life at work or at home. So as I said, we hear the title life coach being used by so many people today. What should a person look for when selecting a coach? So coaching, like is in a sense, it's not a friend, but you're going to have an energetic connection to someone. It's like a relationship in that way. Very often coaches have niches or specialties. Uh, and there's many, 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 there's literally a coaching specialty for almost anything. And then you have someone like myself, who's more of what would be called an expert generalist, if you will. I've had a lot of life experience, you know, I'm very compassionate, but at the same time, I've studied life to such an extent that I'm very objective. And so for someone like myself, um, who's not as young as others, I would be maybe a wise voice of reason in the chaos. 
So when you're coming into life coaching, what's happening is you're coming into a calm, safe space where things are going to slow down for you. And it's a way that, again, you're going to, which is very unusual in our culture, the idea of being slow. You know, nothing like COVID where we are right now, which is the great slowdown if there ever has been. So it's not very comfortable because we've spent so much time racing. And so what coaching does is it allows you a dedicated hour to have space to look at your, your life, your experience, what you're trying to accomplish, and spend some time with it. And in that time, when we allow it to, to, you know, to spread itself out a little bit, that's where the insights come and the aha moments, the, oh my gosh. And honestly, there's really nothing better than, than those kinds of reactions. Lisa, thank you so much for spending this time with us. If you would like to learn more about Lisa or her book or her work, you can visit her website, lisaluckett.com. Or as always, to hear more from Lisa, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lisa. Again, thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Joan. We'll be right back. Another year has come to an end. For many, this is the time when we reflect on the past 365 days, take stock of where we are, and decide the path of our life moving forward. We make a list of things we want to change and create resolutions to get the job done. Hi, this is Joan Herman, here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Often we start the year off with a bang, moving full force in the new direction, and then boom, a different bang, we hit a wall. Everything we strive to accomplish with such passion slides to the side, and we fall back into the routine of the behavior we know so well. There's a familiarity about the promises we make to ourselves each year. One can easily ask, didn't I make those same promises last year and maybe even the year before? So why, if we are so determined to make change, do we fall short of our goals? According to experts, one of the main reasons New Year resolutions are so hard to maintain is because the thing we want to change is a habit, behavior that comes from the subconscious part of our brain that is done automatically without conscious thought. Typical resolutions like eating healthy, quitting smoking or drinking, increasing physical activity, or spending more time with loved ones are designed to change routines that have been around for many years. While it's easy to assume that we should be able to willingly make long-term changes to established patterns, desire alone usually is not enough. According to Charles Duhigg in his book, The Power of Habit, there is a three-step loop that occurs. A cue or trigger, which tells our brain to go into automatic mode. The routine, which can be physical, mental, or emotional and the reward, which helps our brain determine if the loop is worth remembering for the future. Over time, this loop becomes more and more automatic. While wanting to change is the first step, experts say that the key to enacting lasting change is understanding the process and identifying our triggers. When we recognize what situations trigger our current habit, we can create a positive habit that we're going to do instead. Be mindful and consistent. Create the new routine that results from the trigger and our brain learns the new reward. Don't try to change life all at once. Some people decide that they are going to lose weight, exercise every day, quit smoking, get a new job, and spend more time with family. A complete overhaul will lead to overload and we will give up. Work on one habit at a time and take baby steps. Lean in gently. Lasting change won't happen overnight, but with mindfulness, determination, consistency, and patience, we can achieve any goal we desire. Remember, for big change, think small. As Mark Twain said, habit is habit and not to be flung out of the window by any man, but coaxed downstairs a step at a time. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiring tips and strategies, visit joanherman.com. There are a lot of business people who are relieved that 2020 is over. However, a lot more are saying, now what? This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. And if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that social media is important and it's here to stay. Between Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, many businesses were able to stay alive in 2020 and some even thrive. However, a lot more businesses hopped onto social media with the hope that it would all work out. And it really didn't. Social media is like any marketing. You need to have a plan and know what you want to accomplish before you go out and post or buy advertising on social media. The most important decision you can make about social media is why are you there? Are you keeping your name recognition to current and potential customers? 
Are you showing your business in a good light? Or are you looking for new customers? All of these are individual choices for small business owners, and they bring you to different conclusions. Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn are all important for small businesses, but they are definitely not the same. Choosing what to post, when to post, and how to post matter on each platform and can bring you followers, customers, or absolute silence. It depends on how you use it. So before you jump into 2021 and start dancing in a video, think about why you're there and what you want to accomplish. That will lead you into the right platforms for you and your business. If you need help with your social media for business, give us a call. You can check out our website at smcventures.biz or visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures simple social media. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Are you at a point in your life where you're questioning everything, your marriage and friendships, your work, your purpose? Do you have an inner voice that keeps telling you that it's time to pay attention to your life? Today's guest, Cheryl Richardson, has toured the world, empowering others to make lasting change. But when her life no longer worked as it once had, she knew that it was time to uncover what really mattered. Cheryl provides an account of how she found a renewed purpose through an inward journey. Cheryl is a New York Times bestselling author of several books. Her work has been covered in media, including The Today Show, The New York Times, and O Magazine. She was a team leader for the Lifestyle Makeover series on The Oprah Winfrey Show, and she accompanied Oprah on the Live Your Best Life tour. Welcome, Cheryl. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joan. I'm glad to be here. Cheryl, I'm so happy to have this conversation with you because what you experienced is something that many of us experience. I know I did. When I hit midlife, everything I knew changed. But for me, it happened through death, divorce, and self-evaluation. What was going on in your life that caused you to pause and examine your path? Well, you know, it's it's funny. I was at a point in my career that a lot of people would look at and think, wow, she's really lucky and she must be incredibly happy. I mean, I was very busy. I was traveling a lot. I was doing a lot of speaking. I was on a a speaking tour in London. I was actually doing four major cities in different countries and I was just getting really tired. And um, I had one of those, I guess I was going through an experience that I think a lot of people do go through where they work very hard to achieve a certain level of success or to get to a certain place in life. And then you arrive there and you think, wow, this is great. I've I've made it. It's, It's wonderful to be here. You enjoy it for a while, but then you start to question where you are. And this could be true in a marriage, you know, built growing a family, growing a business of your own. So I really just reached a point where I was emotionally, physically, and spiritually tired, but I wasn't really allowing myself to look at that because I thought, my goodness, I'm living a really great life. How blessed am I to be able to travel and to teach and to do work I love and to write books? And um, I can't, you know, who am I to question that at this point? And I've spent so many years working to get to this point. What the heck would I do if I wasn't doing this? And so like a lot of people, I just kind of kept going through the motions. And then I just reached a point where I was tired of being away from home, being away from my husband. And I just realized things needed to change. And it wasn't a big wake up call like we often get. And like I've certainly received in my life in the past, it was more this kind of quiet, slow burning, unsettled feeling about the life that I was living. And I think the big, you know, the thing that really made me finally stop and say, okay, I got to really reevaluate this was entering my early 50s. Because, you know, at that point, as you know, Joan, you reach that point and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm getting closer to the finish line than the starting line. And I've got a limited amount of time here and I better make damn sure I'm happy with what I'm doing. What you're talking about, I went through something very similar. For me, it was in my middle 40s and my 23-year marriage ended. I had devoted my entire being to raising my two children and to making sure that my husband was happy. And to the outside, it looked like everything was perfect, like we had this great life. But inside, I experienced low self-esteem. I felt like I wasn't worthy. I knew that I couldn't continue that way, that something had to change. But when I tried to reclaim who I was, my marriage ended. And at the same time that my marriage was ending, my mother and sister passed away. And that thrust me into this really dark place. 
But the point is that no matter what we're going through, when we go within, when we look inside, we can find the strength to emerge stronger, to emerge a whole person. Yeah, I think that, you know, what you're talking about is I think think that there are periods in life where we realize that our insides aren't up to the task of the kind of life that we want to live, that there's some growing we need to do. And I'm very fortunate that that happened to me at a young age. At the age of 19, I hired my first therapist. This was many years ago. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't a popular decision. But I knew that I, I knew that I did have low self-esteem and that I wasn't living the life I wanted to live, but I didn't know how to make changes. I didn't feel confident enough, courageous enough. I didn't feel worthy enough. And so I hired a therapist early on and um, really I found a wonderful therapist which I think makes a huge difference and she really essentially introduced me to the idea of working in partnership with someone on my own inner growth in a way that was really fulfilling and um, successful you know like it, 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 it showed results in my everyday outer world and so I'd always been somebody from that point on who was checking under the hood and was really committed to my own growth. And I think that much like you said, there are certain points in life where if you don't look in the mirror and say, okay, you know, do I feel worthy of being satisfied in life? Am I paying attention to my soul? Do I even know that I am a soul? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, then sometimes the hero's journey really is about taking on your own emotional, physical, and spiritual growth. Other times later in life, like for me, I had taken on that inner work. And I think it was the commitment to the inner work that allowed me to reach a point where I realized, you know what, I need to be true to my soul. Even if I'm, I've arrived at the life I thought I wanted, if it doesn't feel right, excuse me, I need to be true to my soul and I need to be willing to explore what's going on and to start reevaluating everything. So we all reach different points like that. And I'm so sorry to hear about, and that's, that's what I call, and I refer to this in the book as cosmic rug pulling, when your marriage is in trouble and then you have two significant losses at the same time, that's a big challenge to take on. And it must have been really a dark period. And then look at where you are now, right? You took it on. And, and this I is the result of that. Is, this is because mm-hmm. of that. And so yeah. when you go through those challenges or when you make that self-evaluation or you begin that inward journey, you can really arrive at amazing places. But the first yeah. thing you need to figure out is what it is you want, where you know where you want to go. And, and, and you present questions that can help us with a midlife introspection. And one of the questions that you ask, which I think is so important, is if your life were to end today, what would you regret? I think being able to answer that question alone can help us make the shift. Yes, and it's not just a bucket list kind of question in terms of what would you regret not having done, although that can be important. Uh, who would you regret not having become? What qualities of character or, or how, do I, how do I feel like I want to approach life differently? And there were some things that I discovered that were really important, like losing a certain amount of self-consciousness I felt I had so I could be bolder with my choices, being less defended and more open to life and more open to people. And those kinds of, I guess, inner bucket list items really do reflect the inner adventure that I've always been deeply committed to and, and frankly, much more interested in than what I could do in the outer world and much more interested in who I am and how how frequently I can remember that I am a soul in a physical body and that I'm here to fully experience life. I'm not here to conquer it or to accomplish. I'm here to experience life, to let life flow through me instead of getting caught up in the craziness. I think nowadays it's very easy for us to assume that, you know, you said something about from the outside, everybody would have looked at you and thought, oh, I'm a mom. I've got this family. Everything's great. I think a lot of us make that assumption, especially because of social media. We're usually only seeing what's wonderful about people's lives. Uh, It's usually really the highlight the highlights of our lives that we see. And so it's so easy for us to feel like we're not entitled to question the direction that we're headed in or where we are, or there's something wrong with us because, you know, we're not happy with what we have. It's not even about happy. It's about, it's about searching for a deeply meaningful life. And that is a life that is directed by the soul, not by the ego and not certainly by the head. Cheryl, you've been doing this for a long time. Why do you believe we resist doing what we know will nourish our soul? Do you believe it's the fear of the unknown? I have been working with people for a very long time. And the, the thing that I do know is that when we choose to live an examined life, 
when we engage in activities that really, whether it's doing therapy, journaling, you know, being a part of a support group where people get together and tell the truth about what's working and what isn't working, when we have the right kind of support, when we meditate on a regular basis, you know, engage in activities that honor the inner life, that honor ourselves as souls, life begins to work. And it doesn't mean that it's all kittens and roses and you know, cotton candy at all. It means because to be in human form, I think, is to to face the reality that we're going to suffer. Life, we are going to lose people we love. We're going to lose things that we love. We're going to feel pain. But the question is how well you're able to move through those experiences and maintain your own sense of spiritual integrity. And so I think that the more we get support and engage in activities that really honor the inner life, the more motivated we are to make the kinds of changes we need to make. And that's why I wrote this book. That's why I chose to do this particular book, which is really a departure. You know, my other books are self-help nonfiction. This one, I reached a point where I thought, you know, I pretty much said all I need to say about good self-care and taking care of one's outer life, one's emotional life, and one's spiritual life. You can read all about that in all of my books. And I think I've got really good information about what you can do. And I just felt like I reached a point in my life where I wanted to share with my readers what it actually means to live an examined life, what it means to live a life that honors oneself as a soul, what it means to invest in our own personal work. And what happens as a result of that? And I feel like the story that unfolds in the book really shows people that you can be courageous enough to face life the way it is right now and question what's working and what isn't and go on the hero's journey, which is that period of descent where you know things need to change, but you have no idea in what way or where you're headed. And then you sort of linger in the mystery for a while, just trying to get to know yourself and to connect more deeply with what's important to you. And eventually, if you hang in there long enough and stay in that zone of in between, life shows up for you in a very different way, in a way that's meaningful and fulfilling and rich. And you begin the ascent process of the hero's journey. And when you come out of that process, you're not the same person. You're much more aligned with yourself as a soul instead of a personality. Cheryl, you say that during perimenopause, the interests of our youth come back to be healed and released. Can you explain that to us? What do you mean when you say that the interests of our youth come back to be healed and released? Yeah, so what I say is this was actually something Chris Northrup, Dr. Christian Northrup, who's just a wonderful Mm -hmm. Uh, woman's doctor and advocate for women's health. And uh, she said to me once that when we reach a perimenopause, which is before menopause, right, where our hormones are up and down and up and down, much like they are during the period of puberty, uh, very often what will happen is the stuff that was undealt with as an adolescent comes up to be dealt with once again. And that's where things like issues of unworthiness, low self-esteem, fear, self-judgment, feeling sort of bowled over by the inner critical voice. I mean, there's a lot of different things that can come up that need to be healed. Our relationship issues, that's why a lot of people in perimenopause come up against difficulties in their long-term relationships because the soul is always moving towards growth and evolution and healing. And so it's during that perimenopause phase that two things can happen. And this is what Chris talked about, and I experienced this. The roles that you've played that no longer work are going to start to break down and you're going to be invited to to show up more authentically in your life. And number two, the interests that you had around the time of puberty uh, will begin to reveal themselves again. Right around the time, you know, the interests that we had, like for me, it was I loved nature as a young girl. I loved planting seeds and watching plants grow. I loved animals. I loved singing, being out in the world, being out in nature. And uh, these things were really deeply important to me as a young girl, as a, as a young woman. And so I decided to, instead of just seeing them as just sort of ancillary interests to a full and rich life, I let them take center stage. I spent more time in nature. I started walking every single day. I began to meditate more to spend, you know, my husband and I got uh, rescued a cat from a shelter and I I had the beautiful opportunity to mother and to be in relationship with this little being. And I start, we moved to a place where we would be out in in nature and have wildlife show up at our back door. And, um, And I took singing lessons. I took up singing again, just for the sheer joy of singing. And so what I began to see was these early adolescent interests 
were clues to the things that were important to my soul and my own soul's growth. And so they've become a much more valuable and center stage, centerpiece of my life now as a woman in menopause. And I asked that question, Cheryl, because everything that you just described is exactly what happened to me. Those are the feelings that I had, the feeling of, of being unworthy and of questioning who I was and, and what I was supposed to do. And I think that by just understanding that concept can help so many people, women in particular, transition to the next phase of life. Well, and we need to value, you know, as I started to really look at the interests that were calling to be explored, like singing, for example, as soon as I opened to, wow, maybe I do want to start singing again. Sure enough, the universe provides the perfect singing teacher out of the perfect situation, you know, out of nowhere, suddenly I was told about this great singing teacher. So it's like the divine, you know, rises up to support us when we start paying attention to the soul and to these early desires. So that happened. And then I also had to face the fear of, you know, I'm going to actually go and sing and I'm going to sing in front of somebody. And is this really that important? Like, just like an adolescent who's starting out needing to try new things, I felt like an adolescent taking on new things that I knew were deeply important to me. And I was old enough and mature enough to know that I needed to take them seriously. And at the same time, I had to really face several fears. Showing up and singing in front of somebody was one of the most terrifying things I've ever done. And I've done a lot of scary things. So these are, you know, these are some of the things that we're invited to do. And when we do, we're not the same people afterwards. That's the beauty of it all. We we become more, more fully who we are. And then we show up very differently in the world. The book is Waking Up in Winter in Search of What Really Matters at Midlife by Cheryl Richardson. If you'd like to get more information about Cheryl and her work, you can visit CherylRichardson.com. Cheryl, thank you so much for being here and for talking about the importance of self-examination as we age. Life goes by so quickly and many of us are missing it. This is a wonderful reminder to make the most of the time that we have. So thank you for being here. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. It's wonderful to talk to you again. We'll be right back. What does it take to live a courageous life? Hi, I'm Allison Ayati, owner of Awakened Sound Health. A courageous life requires a steadfast commitment to discipline your mind to follow your heart. Your mind is a great servant when you have to calculate numbers, manage a time-sensitive schedule, or accomplish a routine task like driving a car. The problem is that your mind, when given too much power, becomes a suppressor of the will of your heart. Imagine how magnificent your life could be if your mind, with its brilliant computer-like capacity to figure things out, simply worked to accomplish your heart's desire. How do you train your mind to listen to the yearnings of your heart? The answer can be found in meditation. And if you engage with a sound therapist instead of years of practice training your mind into silence, you can access the meditative state immediately through sound. The sound therapist uses therapeutic sounds to induce a state of relaxation and entrain your mind into the meditative state. When the mind is silent, the heart can be heard. The root of the word courage is the Latin word core, which means heart. A courageous life has nothing to do with bravery and everything to do with disciplining your mind to accomplish the will of your heart. To learn more about sound therapy or to book an appointment, go to awakensoundhealth.com. Sound therapy is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, search for Conversations with Joan and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, cyacyl.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. to your health. Joining me today is Dr. Rojini Raj, a board-certified gastroenterologist and television personality. Dr. Raj is here today to discuss digestive discomfort. Welcome, Dr. Raj. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. So, Doctor, digestive discomfort can be the result of more than just overeating. It may be caused by a condition called EPI or exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. Tell us about EPI. 
Sure. So EPI stands for exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, as you just said, and that's a condition where your pancreas is not producing enough digestive enzymes to digest your food properly. So what you may experience in that case are symptoms such as abdominal pain, bloating, diarrhea, or unexplained weight loss. And the issue is many of these symptoms are also symptoms that are similar to other GI conditions. So it's really important to speak to your doctor if you're experiencing these symptoms frequently or on a recurring basis to make sure you get the proper diagnosis and ultimately the proper treatment. And you can certainly learn more about these symptoms at identifyepi.com. Doctor, who is at greatest risk for having this? And, and how do we know when it really is more than just overeating? I mean, you know what our diets are like today. So how can we tell the difference? Sure. Well, in terms of EPI, it has been associated with certain conditions like cystic fibrosis, chronic pancreatitis, which is a chronic inflammation of the pancreas, or even people who've had some type of pancreatic surgery can develop this condition. Uh, but in terms of how do you tell if it's just an occasional indigestion or something that needs to be investigated, it's really about listening to your body, taking, paying attention to the frequency of the symptoms. So if it's just once in a while, when you know you've kind of really overindulged, then that's probably something that happens to all of us occasionally. But if it's happening frequently, if it's recurring, if it's something that's affecting your life or your ability to enjoy your life, then it's certainly time to talk to your doctor and get to the bottom of the condition and make sure you know what it is so you can treat it appropriately. Can EPI be dangerous if left undiagnosed? Well, it certainly can affect your ability to absorb the nutrients that you need. It can lead to vitamin deficiencies, um, the weight loss as well it can be concerning, and it can be associated with some other very serious underlying conditions. We talked about cystic fibrosis and chronic pancreatitis, so it's certainly not something that you want to leave undiagnosed. Um, you want to get to the bottom of it and treat it. And where can our listeners go to get more information? IdentifyEPI.com has a lot more information about the condition and the symptoms associated with it. Dr. Raj, thank you so much for being here with us and for bringing this condition to our attention. Thank you very much. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. joining us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.